tell us a little bit about leading up to that moment when things sort of fell apart. I mean, we were all watching on TV and sort of you knew that something was coming, right? It's like before Kabul yeah. fell, there was the news was starting to ramp up, the rhetoric was starting to ramp up. Kabul fell on the 15th of August and at that point I had already told management, I already told myself, I prepared myself that I was going to stay and that I was going to stay with my team and I was going to support them and what happened that week is there was just this explosion in the media of what was happening at the airport with children going over and going over the gate people falling off planes it was it was a scene of horror it was it was terrible what was happening and i i got a lot of support um from friends and family it also caused me an incredible amount of stress because a lot of the questions were when are you evacuating or have you been evacuated and i wasn't planning on being evacuated my name is Catherine Ann Byam and i'm your host what's your purpose and how does it integrate with sustaining life itself for some of us this question is a deep ache that we spend a lifetime trying to find perhaps shifting direction as we learn and grow from one path to another for many of us our children give us a clear definition providing for them becomes our reason for being for others, it's about enjoying the present moment, ever so fleeting and ever so beautiful. For still others, it can be financial, status, contribution or impact. In this podcast, my guest and I will share with you tips, ideas and methods on how to build a career that integrates with who you are and the life you want to lead. We will explore the social foundation on which to build your transition and an ecological ceiling above which we need not climb so that we live not just for ourselves, but for our collective ability to thrive. Welcome to the Purpose Driven Career Podcast, Do What Matters. This interview was first recorded in August 2021, and it is available on YouTube on my channel, Courageous Career Club. This is a really interesting episode about humanitarian work and understanding how it is experienced by the people who live it. Kristen works for the ICRC. I will let her tell you more about what she does. Kristen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm very excited to be here. Tell us a little bit about what you do at the moment for the ICRC in Afghanistan. Yes, so I am currently the supply chain manager. I started the mission in April 2021. So, I mean, I won't get into too much logistics terms, but basically just making sure that all of our medical and non-medical stock gets there on time and in full so that we can support the various programs in Afghanistan. This is really, really essential work. And, and I know that what we've experienced looking at the TV for the last month or two around Afghanistan and what you've experienced in the period of time from April till now, probably very different. I'd love to know a little bit about the journey and sort of your, your entry into Afghanistan, what that experience was like for you, what that transition was like for you, because I understand you were coming from Jordan, you were coming from an assignment from Jordan at the time. Yep. If you can tell us a little bit about what that transition and experience was like for you when you got into Afghanistan the first time. I really didn't have many expectations. I tried to keep my expectations low, let's just say. I mean, I knew that I was going into primarily a, you know, a Muslim country, 99%. I knew that I had to dress differently. I knew that the cultural, uh, there was, you know, cultural differences, of course. Um, but I really kind of 
went with low expectations so that's when I went there I really lived it fully and I made my own um, opinions and my own um, it, it just made my experience better really so yeah so I, I arrived in April 2021 and it's been great really ever since I've loved my experience so far unfortunately I'm not there with my team anymore but I talk to them on a daily basis. Tell us a little bit about leading up to that moment last month when things sort of fell apart to say the least. I mean we were all watching on TV and sort of you knew that something was coming right it's like before Kabul yeah. fell there was the news was starting to ramp up the rhetoric was starting to ramp up and we all felt that something was was going to happen spectacularly and and then Kabul fell but tell us a little bit about the lead up to that moment and how you experienced it from your side. Yeah, absolutely. So I think something something that we often forget is Afghanistan has been in war for about 40 years. You know, so these people are incredibly resilient, are incredibly um, you know, strong people. They're very very beautiful people, very hospitable. And you could see how their moods and their mannerisms were slowly changing with the context, with the change in situation in the country. And that's what made me a little bit on edge and made me a little bit, you know, you, I care a lot for them. And I, I, it was very, very hard to see them go through these, through, through, through when, the, you know, the Americans left. The Americans left in July 4th, uh, 2021, obviously this year. And it was kind of after that that things really started to, to pick up and Taliban started advancing very quickly. So they uh, gained momentum pretty much by the end of July. Oh no, sorry, it was about a couple of weeks before uh, before the fall of, fall of Kabul. They had gone uh, Herat and Lashkargah, Kandahar, which are major cities in the country. And it, it the the day before Kabul fell, my they, the Taliban, sorry, were 45 minutes away from Kabul. Um, and that night, there were helicopters flying because they were trying to evacuate the people from the embassies. And most most of the staff didn't sleep. So you, you came to work and they had just, you know, big, big, big bags under their eyes, very uncomfortable. They knew that it was they were just around the corner. And of course, it, you know, it happened. And we're very thankful that it was, a peaceful day, so August fifteenth, when Kabul fell, was peaceful, and that there were, you know, very little casualties, and um, that overall it was a peaceful transition of power. Yeah, that's. I can imagine that that was a hugely significant moment for you and the team. Uh, certainly, I know that you work with quite a number of people there. If you'd like to share with my listeners how many people you actually work with and how many people you you support in terms of the aid work that you do as well. Yeah, absolutely. So in Afghanistan, we're about 1,800 people. Um, most of our staff work in orthopedic centers. So we have seven centers across the country. So huge, huge amount of people there. And, you know, I believe, and what we shared with our donors is that from August, we supported uh, about 8,000 patients, war wounded patients, uh, through one of our programs. And this is just one of the many programs that we have in Afghanistan. It's really important to, to know exactly how, how much impact and how relevant the work is that, that aid organizations are doing in this country, even before 
the situation happened. Tell us a little bit about that time from, I think it was Sunday when Kabul fell to yeah. sort of Wednesday when you were able to, to leave the country. And I mean, perhaps, perhaps you didn't even want to leave. I mean, I don't know how complicated this emotional situation was for you. So tell us a little bit about the time between the falling of Kabul and your, your exit. Yeah, so indeed. So Kabul fell on the 15th of August. And at that point, I had already told management and I already told myself, I prepared myself that I was going to stay and that I was going to stay with my team and I was going to support them. And that's whatever happens, I was going to be there. And what happened that week is there was just this explosion in the media of what was happening at the airport with children going over in, going over the gates, there were people falling off planes. It was it was a scene of horror. It was it was terrible what was happening, and I would get I, I got a lot of support um, from friends and family, from people on Facebook that I hadn't spoken to in years, and I was very very appreciative for that and for people worrying about me. But it also caused me an incredible amount of stress because a lot of the questions were, of course, you know, how are you doing, but when are you evacuating or have you been evacuated? And I wasn't planning on being evacuated. I had already developed my coping mechanisms. I had my pictures. I had my, you know, my daily calls with my friends and it, I had ways to deal with the situation. But it came to a point where I had to decide if I'm going to stay with, with my staff and my people and stay on the ground or care about the mental health of my family. And at that point, it just got too much for them to deal with. And they were also dealing with people contacting them, right? So my mother was getting calls from all over and it made her very anxious. And I'm not putting the blame on my mother or on my partner, but it's, 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 I have to, I, have, I can't just think about me, myself. I have to think about others. So this is why it led me to the decision to leave on the next flight. That must have been incredibly, incredibly difficult to, to manage. And I can also imagine, imagine that being in the airport was not exactly anyone's idea of a safe place to be in that week. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely not. I didn't really know what to expect. I mean, I knew that there was, I mean, we saw a lot of the pictures coming out, a lot of the videos, but for some reason, I didn't think it was going to be actually that bad. I thought possibly we'd go through a different gate or I wasn't expected for it. And when I got to the gate, it was, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I get emotional just even thinking about it. It was, it's, it's awful. Like you see people with just a diploma in their hand. You see children not flinching a second with the sight of tear gas or with a gunshot. They were just super, super calm. Um, you have, you know, women children crying and i'm really not exaggerating it was that was the site at the airport and it felt very uncomfortable as a humanitarian as a as a international um international person to be able to get on a flight that day so that's really yeah all i want to say it's, it was very uncomfortable leaving and i'm still dealing with it to, to this day yeah. I mean, I can imagine that that you would have built quite a bond with your team by that time. You've been there already for four months. Tell me a little bit about 
culturally what it was like to sort of transition into into this this new culture tell tell me a little bit about how you experienced that and yeah and what you miss probably the most now that you're in Tashkent so I mean to, to prepare for the cultural the, the different culture you get a briefing I mean we do get a nice form or a nice piece of paper what's written all the main things you need to know but it's really once you're in the context and once you're really living with the people that you experience things much differently and that was actually a key thing for me is to develop trust through cultural norms so things like drinking tea in the morning for a good hour like not an hour every morning but like a good chunk of time to talk about their families or talk about what they did on the weekend what books they're reading whatever you know whatever conversation and then to sit on the floor when we're having lunch to um, that's, you know, that's how they eat. That's how they eat their, their meals or to eat jigar, which is liver. They love to eat that for breakfast. So I really enjoyed living through those different customer or cu different customs. Another thing that will, I, I vividly remember is when someone passes away in Afghan culture or in, in, in Islam really is people get together. So, uh, you know, at this time there was a lot of COVID cases. There was a huge spike, spike in cases probably around, uh, probably around July. So a few months into my mission. So there, we're seeing a lot of unfortunately deaths in the compounds and family members. So frequently we would all get together and we would sort of someone chanting the Quran and it was just a really beautiful moment to even if you didn't know that person but to pay their respects so I yeah something that we don't really do in western culture I mean there's always the my condolences and the text but actually to reunite together and to to to, to commemorate this person is, is, is really beautiful yeah yeah so tell me tell me a little bit about your transition from traditional type of supply chain roles to humanitarian supply chain roles. What was the big takeaway, the big learning for you having done this this type of work for the last two years? That's a very good question. I mean, I my previous job was working for a fast moving goods company uh, in tobacco. And I look back at that experience with very fond memories because it really prepared me to you know, be very process oriented, dealing with also different cultures. I mean, just in, in Southampton, where I was located in the UK, I, I don't know, I don't remember how many, but it was definitely over 20 different nationalities. So it does prepare you to deal with different, different cultures and different, different, you know, different people, different characters. Um, and you know, also managing a team. I was able to, to manage a team at that time. So to prepare me to lead with compassion and lead with um lead with integrity yeah yeah i can imagine and what what do you think is is sort of on the horizon for you as you look at your career you look at what you've experienced and and you've seen sort of things that other people don't really have the opportunity to see firsthand what what do you think this will mean for the rest of of your career and your outlook Definitely, I will always work with purpose. 
that is something that I am now very confident in saying. I was not sure at the time, but you know now it's it's very clear that I want to feel proud of the organization that I work for, and I want to be very much in line with my values. I want my values to be in line with the, with the organization. So for me, that's that's something that will that will follow me forever. Now, what I'm going to do next to be seen, and please follow me on LinkedIn. <laughs> But yeah. Now, congratulations on all that you've accomplished. I think the work yeah. that you you've done to to help countries that are really struggling at this moment it's so important. Um, you know, the world is going through what I want to call a flux right now, um, and there's a lot of change happening. You know, they call it the Great Resignation on LinkedIn and stuff like this. But I think there's really a movement to let's try to save as much as we can. Let's try to do the best we can and let's try to, to give as much as we can instead of take as much as, as we can, as, which has kind of been the philosophy of the past, the past few years. So it's really a pleasure and an honor to, to have you on the show. Thank you for joining me. And it's such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's, been, it's been really wonderful to have this interview with you. And I look forward to our work together as we go through the rest of this year. Me too. Me too. And I just want to end by just saying something very, very quick is just to thank so many people for their support and their kind words through this you know, difficult period in Afghanistan. And, you know, especially to my partner, who is my, literally my rock um, through my whole, uh, through my whole time. And uh, of course, to my parents and to you for your support. So thank you very much. Thank you as well, Kirsten. This episode was brought to you today by the Courageous Career Club. Have you picked up your own copy of Do What Matters, the Purpose Driven Career Transition Guidebook? To find out how you can get your copy, as well as resources that go alongside it, visit my website www.catherineannbyam.com or engage with me on the socials. I'm looking forward to hearing from you.